When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The Big Chief with a badge, a cattle prod and a head on a stick. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We've reached the end of another tumultuous week uh, in the Republic and coming up later on we'll hear all about it on the Perrier Awards which is of course an homage to my broadcasting brilliance and some other people's broadcasting as well. As if by magic, Katie Perrier will be joining us as well to talk us through the latest Brexit shenanigans and the big G20 summit currently going on in Buenos Aires in Argentina. It's beginning to look like I was right all along on Europe, you know. When the referendum result dropped two years ago, I predicted that it would never actually happen. This whole leaving thing. This morning we read in the Times that European leaders are now prepared to offer Britain a three-month extension to Article 50 to prevent a no-deal Brexit being triggered by a defeat for Theresa May in Parliament. On top of that, Norway is now offering Britain the chance to join the European Free Trade Association, which they previously said was not on the table. Is anyone convinced, as I am, that something fishy is going on here? 0344 499 1000. Coming up a little bit later on in the show, we'll be finding out just what the justification is for railfares going up yet again, despite awful performance figures, the why electric cars are definitely going to be the way forward. Plus, who has come up with the idiotic idea of giving overweight people free Fitbits to prevent them from developing type 2 diabetes? We can't just keep giving free stuff away. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So imagine the scene uh, in the corridors of power at 10 Downing Street uh, in the Treasury, uh, down on uh, uh, sort of Westminster Green, where all of the big decisions are made about our future, what's going to happen with Brexit, exactly how many people are going to vote for the government, exactly how many people are going to rebel, whether or not the DUP is going to stick with Theresa May, whether or not the European Union is going to go along with the deal, which is the only deal that can be possibly made by Theresa May and, of course, all of her Brexit negotiators, whether or not all of that is, in fact, already a foregone on conclusion. Just imagine if, in fact, all of the stories that you read in every single newspaper in the land are stories which have been very carefully choreographed. These are not stories which are in any way uh, the result of a chaotic theory. No way has it got anything to do with the fact that Theresa May is lurching from one crisis to another, when in fact, as I said, the day the referendum result came out, Maybe we'll never leave the European Union. I want to talk now uh, to our good friend here at the Independent Republic, Ms. Katie Perry, a former director of communications at Number 10, a woman uh, with her own show here on Talk Radio now. And we're going to find out from her what on earth is going on. Katie, a very good morning to you. Good morning, good morning. I mean, God, no one knows what's going on. So Are you that's sure? The, that's the whole, the whole problem. And you talk about Number 10 Downing Street in mm. terms of what's going on inside there. It's actually all going on on Prime Minister's aeroplane to Argentina yeah. for the G20 summit. So she's takes a load of journalists on the plane with her. I used to spend all of my time on those planes trying to navigate through press conferences in the air. And what she's basically said is parliamentarians need to look and say, OK, it's not perfect, but in the national interest, in the interest of my constituents, I have to vote for this deal. So she's speaking directly to her own MPs through the power of the media on the aeroplane. But it's not going to be an easy couple of days for her. She's going to have to avoid Trump, which she doesn't have a meeting with. At least she got there. I mean, Angela, Angela Merkel from Germany had to turn around and go back because her plane didn't work. So she's trying again today. <laughs> it's a pretty good so, metaphor for her business, really, isn't it? Because she's not working very well either. No, it's not going very well for her and it's quite embarrassing, really. Mm. So, you know, Theresa May's there for the next couple of days. It's going to be difficult. She's not got a meeting with Trump because she's kind of blanking him. He's kind of blanking her. But she's trying to sell this idea that with her deal, she can still you know, negotiate free trade deals after we've exited the EU after a couple of years. So who's out in London while she's over there? Liam Fox. And that's, right. his, that's his game this, the next couple of days. He's got to deliver it. But a fascinating piece this morning from Oliver Wright at The Times and Bruno Waterfield over in Brussels saying that European leaders suddenly now prepared to offer a three-month extension to Article 50, which feeds into my paranoia, and I'm not going to call it really paranoia because I'm not really a paranoid sort of individual, but it feeds into the suggestion um, that 
that this was always going to be the case, that if no deal is on the table and no deal is the fear, they will somehow do anything to avoid that. Well, obviously, you know, two very important journalists there from The Times, and they are very, very well switched on mm. to what's going on, and they lead the way in terms of informing us where it's going. The EU were always going to offer us an extension because they don't really want us to leave. That's what I mean. And so they, you know, but we always knew this. We knew that we were going to be going to the wire, and all these deadlines, October deadlines, well, they've gone. November, November deadlines, well, we're in the last day. You know, this is going to run right to the wire. And what's going to happen is... The most important thing in the next couple of months is a very technical thing is going to happen in Parliament, whereby if Theresa May loses this vote and she has to go back and talk to them about where do we go from here if she gets to stay in her job, the, the your parliamentarians at the moment are trying to amend what happens next so that Parliament has a stronger say-so on where we go next. And, of course, if Parliament has a strong say-so, there's no majority in there for a no-deal Brexit, they might go, well, Prime Minister, we think you need to go back to the drawing board and therefore we either want an extension or we want a different form of Brexit in the way that you presented to us. So it's not over by, by any sh- any margin. We've got quite a way to go yet. No, indeed. But let me paint this picture for you, Katie, and you can shoot it down in flames if you wish. And I know you'd love to do that because you're the sort of person that goes off and does their own show on talk radio at a moment's notice, right? <laughs> I learnt from the best. And I see do. you're on on Sunday again, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but here's the thing. Imagine the situation where Theresa May... Um, alone is the only one that thinks this is the best deal for the United Kingdom, right? She doesn't think it's the best deal for the United Kingdom. However, she knows that it's such a bad deal that it's bound to lead into this kind of murky netherworld of, you know, we we never really properly leave. And if we ever do properly leave, we will still be tied up to such an extent with the European Union that it will feel as if we haven't left. Well, the thing is, uh, Theresa May doesn't want that. Theresa May wants a clean break from from European Union because that's kind of the mandate that she has to, has to deliver now, even though she didn't want to do that originally. She didn't want to be the only Prime Minister that's only there for mm. Brexit. She wanted to be there for her domestic agenda, the things she talked about on the steps of number 10 Downing Street. But she can't do that because there's no wiggle room at the moment. It's all about Brexit. She would actually like to sort out this deal with the European Union, get over March next year and then try and hold on to her job and deliver on the things that she wanted to do all along. But yeah. she hasn't got the bandwidth at the moment. So the last thing she really wants is an extension. She would hate that, much like the idea of a second referendum. That's just going on and on and on. And over that time, the Conservative Party becomes more and more toxic to the electorate because, you know, one of the things that the Conservative Party's kind of got a good, goodish reputation for is competence versus, you know, a bit of a shambolic, yeah. high-tax, uh, you know, Labour Party. That is being a roadie way. You get on the train today, you, you know, train doesn't run very well, and the price is going up in January. You get to work and you hear about all this stuff going on Brexit. If the Conservatives don't stand for competent government, they've kind of lost the plot. And so she needs to get on with it, do the deal, and then go back to governing the country properly. Yeah, you've been you've been very impressed this morning to see on the front page of the Daily Mail that Mark Khan received his CBE from Prince William uh, yesterday, which of course the forward Boston Network Rail. Uh, he's responsible for a lot of this nonsense, but that's uh, I digress. But nevertheless, here's the thing: we've also now got Norway joining in and saying, well, maybe actually uh, we could allow you guys to join uh, the thing that we've got, which is the European Free Trade Association. So Britain would move. You know, a lot of people are very baffled by all of these phrases like Super Canada and Extra Canada, Canada Light, Canada Super Califragilistic. Yeah, exactly. You might as well call it that. And Norway and, you know, Sub-Norway, Post-Norway, Norway Plus. You know, I mean, what does it actually mean if we're offered this by Norway? Isn't that quite an interesting development? Yeah, it's about making sure that we can trade with the rest of the world, but we do have free trade with Europe at the same time. We want to eventually get to a point where we have a free trade deal like we have now with the European Union. But we do it in a block right now. We do it in a single market, in a customs union, and we basically want that outside. Now, if you're a member of the European Union and you're one of the 27 countries that stay, is staying put, you won't be over the moon with Britain getting such a, a rosy deal because we can get all of that but not have to accept the freedom of movement which is people coming and going as they see fit, which was one of the Theresa May's red lines saying, look, you know, the, the, the British public absolutely said that was a no-no for us. We cannot carry on accepting, not knowing who's coming in our country, who's going out and accepting, you know, large numbers of people coming to live here, uh, economic migrants. Now, other countries like Poland and elsewhere will be going, well, hold on a minute here. Um, how come you get all of these great benefits of trading with us uh, without extra tariffs, and yet you won't accept one of the four major pillars of what being a member of the European Union is? So I think the EU will press heavily on their negotiators, uh, Michel Barnier and Juncker, and and basically say, look, Britain has to have, especially this is Macron's position, a, a worse deal than staying in. Otherwise, what's the point of the club? 
No, exactly. What is the point of the club? And what is the point right now as well of people like Jacob Rees-Mogg and the sort of, uh, you know, the arch-Brexiteers like Boris Johnson? Again, they've all gone a bit quiet. What's the, what's the sort of um, uh, mood music inside the Tory party at the moment? Well, everybody's waiting for the moment to strike because if you are someone that wants to put in a letter uh, of no confidence in a prime minister and you want to strike a vote of no confidence, then you can only do that once over a 12-month period. So, you know, you peak too early, she looks strong, she wins the vote, and then, you know, it's game over. So they are all game planning what the next few months looks like. Mm. Um, and so uh, in the meantime, you get Boris Johnson's of this world writing articles about why it's a bum deal. You've got um, other people. I mean, I was at dinner this week and we had pretty reasonable centre kind of uh, Tory politicians on the table and they would say, look, I don't like it. I'm not over the moon by it, but I think that this is probably the best opportunity we have to back uh, you know, jobs, investment in Britain. And I'm really worried if we kind of go up, off a cliff. So some of those people... You know, feel like they're being forced to go for this because there's no better alternative. But you know, front page of the Telegraph today: 100 Tory MPs are now against this deal. There's no way she can get it through the Commons at this rate. So, you know, it's all about what happens next. The actual vote is, is a bit of a done deal. And of course, the big row at the moment is around the TV debates. Yes. So, you know, what channel? Who's going to host? Well, who's going to pick the audience? And in a way, although that's massively, massively risky for Theresa May because she's not known kind of, um, you know, great. Uh, she wasn't great on the election campaign. But Corbyn's not a great he's orator not much, either. He's not much better either. He's not either, much good at dispatch box every no. Wednesday at Prime Minister's Questions. So she's she's hedging her bets and thinking, I'm going to give him a run for the money. And of course, while we're arguing about the Brexit debate, we've kind of stopped arguing a bit about her rubbish deal. So if she <laughs> wanted to take us, it's like a dead cat scenario. Yes. Whack a dead cat on the table and everybody's like, oh, it's a dead cat. It's and all of a sudden cat. you've started talking, stopped but talking if you about still, the stuff. But if you were still in there, right, d- 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 sort of directing procedures and telling people what they should be doing, would you say to her, uh, do ITV or BBC, or does it matter whether it's after Strictly? Does it matter whether it's after uh, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here or Up Against That? Does any of that matter? I think it does. It matters hugely. It matters exactly what the audience makeup is. It matters when in the country you decide to do it. It matters about the d- demographics of the people in the audience, the age, the backgrounds, you know, whether or not they're city, whether or not they're rural. People have very different views where they live in the country. And, you know, the, the you know, political maps of leave, remain, conservative, Labour, you know, play that out. Cities vote very differently from rural areas. So I would want to... I've been uh, involved in organising TV debates for Boris Johnson back in when he did his mayoral campaign. I was yeah. working on his campaign in 2008. And I just absolutely flipped my lid about three minutes before we went on air and threatened to pull the whole thing because I didn't feel that the audience was weighted enough in political balance. Mm. And I felt that they jam-packed the audience for the people that kind of, pushed come to shove, were going to vote for Ken Livingston again. Right. So, you know, you've really got to crawl over absolutely everything before you uh, agree to the format. So no wonder they're having a good old Barney right now. No, indeed. And speaking of bad deals, I was going to suggest to you that next time you see Boris Johnson, you could say to him, before he writes his next piece for The Sun, uh, you could say, well, the worst deal surely in journalistic history is your deal with the Telegraph where they pay you bucket loads of money and you keep writing for other newspapers. 23 grand a month they pay him to write for the Telegraph. And he doesn't only write for them, he writes for other people. Yeah, he writes for the other people when he, when he wants to. I mean, you know, the Sun is probably the, the, the lead paper right now against Theresa May's plan. They are for a hard Brexit. They're kind of, you know, what we're, you know, we are great Britain. Daily Mail's gone very what have floppy, you got to isn't show? it? The Daily Mail's changed dramatically yeah. under its new editor and, you know, number 10 will feel highly relieved that they haven't got Paul Dacre, the former editor of the Daily mm. Mail, on their backs uh, this week. So, you know, it's all changed a bit uh, in terms of the media coverage and what what we're expecting of Theresa May Mm. and her deal over the next couple of weeks. But I'm afraid, folks, if you're really, really bored of Brexit, it ain't over yet. (laughs) I'm afraid not. One final question, Katie, before I let you go. Uh, Down in uh, the Buenos Aires, where the G20 is going on, the other thing uh, that Theresa May is going to have to worry about as well uh, is when and if and how she meets Saudi Arabia's Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, uh, who's there, apparently, uh, because, of course, everybody, a bit like Robert Mugabe, doesn't want to shake his hand, doesn't want to go anywhere near him. Oh, it's an awful, awful situation. You know, he's been accused of the murder of a journalist mm. uh, in front of the world, uh, world's media. Uh, and she has, she feels that she has no choice but to meet him because there's lots of UK interest in Saudi. I went with her to, to visit the UAE when uh, I was working number 10 Downing Street. And you are literally treading on eggshells the whole time you're there. Mm. Don't meet with these people, it's offensive. Don't do this. Face a journalist. You know, one thing that she has to do 
she's there to talk about the war in Yemen and how the Saudis are have got a political should should have lead the charge and the political answer to that because really the Saudis are you know it's the root of of, of their unhappiness why they're involved in Yemen. Get them to the table, try and thrash out political deals. Tell them that we are not ignoring what they're involved in in Yemen, that we will not turn a blind eye, and that we're there to talk to them about human rights around the world. And if she doesn't raise uh, this this uh, journalist that's been murdered, then you know she's going to be in for a hammering with this journalist. So yeah. she'll come back and she'll say, I raised the point about the journalist that we wanted a clear, transparent investigation and we want those to be brought to account. Very bit difficult when the man she's speaking to is probably the man that she wants to be held to account. Mm. That's quite difficult. Yeah. And then to talk about uh, Yemen and, and, other, and other issues. So um, Theresa May's stance on this is always, you've got to be in the room, you've got to be around the table to, to put your points, to force your points across. And, uh, you know, Britain's uh, relationship with Saudi goes back many, many years. And her viewpoint is, you know, things like uh, allowing women to drive and uh, bringing them up to the, you know, the real world, the modern world. Yeah, the let most them ridiculous, go to football, yeah. Ridiculous scenario that they've been over the years. Mm. They feel Britain has played a, a significant role in lobbying and being at the top table in, in making that happen. And so, uh, you know, her view is I'm not going to shut the door on this because I don't think it will be beneficial for the UK in the long run. But, of course, many people at home will be thinking we don't. these are not the kind of friends we want. No, exactly right. Now, speaking of which, the sort of friends you want are not the sort of people that leave you sitting in the dirt on your own without any guests on your show. But you're, you've set off on your own. You're doing your show on, on Sunday. Uh, so you'll be covering all of this, I bet. Uh, what time are you on? I'm on 10 till 1, right. your, your normal slot, but on a Sunday instead of, of midweek. And I'm hoping to get better figures than last time, because when I had you on the show very briefly, Mike, you said something like my coverage of current affairs was yeah. 2 out of 10. That's right, because you ignored the big Tory scandal, which, to be fair, went away in about oh, one hour. It wasn't see, much look, of a scandal. I'm a good judge of that. It was boring. <laughs> Therefore, I didn't focus on it. And what, you know, where has it happened this week? None at all. So, no. all right. you know what? You know, Move over, Mike Graham. Independent, so-called independent <laughs> republic. Move over. I'm moving over. I'm out. I'm getting out of your way. Katie Perry, what a wonderful woman she is. She's back uh, on Sunday morning, 10 o'clock. Don't miss it. It'll be a great show. Uh, this, of course, is also a great show. And if you want to get on it, you need to phone me. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is Talk Radio. More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far enough. <laughs> the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Try to see it my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can go on? While you see it your way, run the risk of knowing that our love may soon be gone. We can work it out, we can work it out. Think of what you say. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344-499-1000. Coming up at 1 o'clock today, it's Matthew Wright, of course, with Kevin O'Sullivan. They're joined by Shadow Chancellor John McDonnell, uh, who I'm sure will have a few interesting things to say uh, about the developments today uh, on the whole Euro debate. Paul says, I'm sorry all this bluster about Brexit is damaging the economy and the public's faith in authority. We voted leave. It should be delivered so we can get on with making the best of it. And Carl says, what is the point of this TV debate? We can't vote on the outcome. Whatever happens to the good old fashioned party political broadcast well i suppose uh carl i would say that people generally speaking are very interested in what is the outcome and so maybe they would like to see what these two individuals actually have to say for themselves when they're not protected uh, by their spin doctors but let's go to the phones oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand craig is in oxford hello craig morning, Mike. How morning. Are you? yeah good what do you want to say well, we're now entering week three of watching Theresa May pee in the wind. Yeah. Trying to go around convincing people that uh, the sky is green, the grass is blue, and her capitulation is a good deal. <laughs> I thought you were going to make that rhyme at the end. Oh, well, <laughs> I went there. And uh, the only people she'd be able to convince so far is the Europeans. And now they seem to have caught on that... Uh, this deal isn't going to go anywhere. Well, she's, well, well what she's up. managed to do is convince them that actually they are hurtling towards what they don't want, which might be a very clever move on her part, after all, because maybe she's cleverer than we think. And maybe uh, she knows because she doesn't want to actually leave. The best thing she can do is make out that it's going to be catastrophic for them. And then that way they do what she wants. Um, I think you're possibly crediting her with a little bit far... Far, far too much strategic uh, ability, unfortunately. Well, it's only taken and, me then, five minutes to come up with that theory, so, I mean, she wouldn't need much uh, strategic capability, to be fair. <laughs> well, she wouldn't. I think that, that highlights the point that I don't think she has an ounce of it. I mean, the fact that the EU are offering us a three-month extension just shows how afraid of no deal they are. Well, exactly, and I've always said that they're much more afraid of us leaving than we should be of leaving them. Oh, very much so, yeah. and, and that's coming right to the front. 
It's no, like the I main mean... breadwinner in the family leaving the house because of a divorce. You know, the person who is being left behind wants to make sure that they're going to be safeguarded financially for a while. Um, but the frightening, it's very frightening for them. Well, we had the Bank of England and, and various other places come out last week and say how terrible it would be for us to leave with no deal. Yeah. Yet no one seems to have pointed out the fact that the EU would lose their £40 billion, yeah. they'd lose 15% of their annual budget, yeah. and all the goods that come to the UK from the rest of the world through the EU, which they collect on the tariffs on, uh, come direct to us, yes. even with no tariffs or reduced tariffs. Well, this is what so Tim was... Martin was going on about on the Question Time last night. He was saying that you know there's absolutely no reason not to expect prices to actually go down. Exactly. Um, and, and a lot of price, prices will go down. And some will go up and they say we'll have shortages on this and other. We might have to pay a bit more for cheese from the continent. But I'll tell you what, we're not bad at making cheese ourselves. We've got plenty of cheese, yeah. so don't worry. I'm not worried about cheese. No, it, exactly. So I think what we're seeing is, is the, the natural path of Brexit carrying on. Um, the Europeans are starting to panic. Theresa May's deal is, is a week away from falling or 10 days is it from falling. Um, and we'll we'll end up leaving on on no deal, um, and they'll come running back to the table. Macron's going to get upset because we're going to get what he doesn't want us to have, mm. and that's going to be a good free trade deal. You may well be right, Craig. It's a fascinating scenario in many ways. Craig, thanks very much indeed. Let's talk to Susan, who's in Exeter. Hello, Susan. Good morning, sweetheart. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Thank you so much. How are you? Not too bad. I want to talk to you. Dear. I assume I want that's why you've say, run. <laughs> yes, I want to say a very good morning to Katie. Very, Katie yeah, she's, she's not here anymore. She was on the phone, no, I'm afraid. Yeah. I know, but I want to say good morning to her. Can you allow me to do that? Certainly. <laughs> Thank you. And where's Dawn? Uh, Dawn, I think, is uh, busy doing other things at the moment. OK, OK, she's fine. Right. Listening. Let's, let's cut to the chase. Yeah. Um... If we've pulled out, if we want to pull out of the EEC, why don't other countries twig and do the same? If we all pull out, we don't have a problem. Yes. Well, I don't think everybody's going to pull out, have but I think... Have you thought about that? Have you ever I'm thought no, about that, Mike? No, it has not occurred to me at all before uh, this moment, Susan. But now that you've made uh, me think of it, I'm thinking that maybe there would uh, be one or two others who would want to pull uh, out. And it might well be uh, that if we pull out successfully, that would they would uh, be more encouraged to pull out. What do you think of that? Right, yeah. But can you tell me something? Yeah. We're ploughing millions of pounds into the EEC. Billions, yeah. Um, yeah, and we're up to our neck in debt, so where's this money coming from? Where well, we are we just, getting it well, from? Well, we just keep making it. I was in uh, near the Bank of England yesterday. Making it. Yeah, there's a big, uh, it's a big vault underneath the Bank of England. They just keep churning it out. No. Look, do. Michael, don't get smart. I'm not being smart. Right. I'm telling you the truth. Absolute God's honest truth, Susan. Why have you on quiet? Michael. Yes. Just don't get smart with me, OK? It's too early. I'm not getting but, smart. I'm telling you the truth. Well, OK, so um, we're in. Uh, we're up to our neck in debt as a nation, and, and the EEC don't want us to pull out because they like us to put my, pump money into their coffers, their economy. But where are we getting it from in the first well, place? Just told Can you, you please tell me? I've just told you. We keep making money. That's what we do. From where? Have you never heard from of... From where? Have you not heard of quantitative easing? No. Well, that's where What's they... That? Well, it's when they basically introduce more money into the economy. They basically say, <sighs> right, we've now got five billion more and we just put it yeah. all into the economy, even though it doesn't actually exist. It's but all smoke it, and mirrors. And, it's a, and so it's a false economy. Yes, it is false. So what? what's real about anything? What's true well, about anything of this? Well, I mean, Can to be honest... Can you tell me, Michael, that's, please? That's a very big question to answer. I will answer it over the course of the next two and a half hours. Susan, thank you very much indeed. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Deep. Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, 03444991000. Here's one uh, that's come in from uh, Twitter, uh, at Talk Radio. All the crooks of the world are lying so they win. All the crooks stick together to cover up uh, for their sins. Uh, well, I think that's possibly taking conspiracy theory a little bit far. Uh, but I do believe that this chaos theory that we're running the whole Brexit programme uh, on something that nobody knows anything about is far too far-fetched for me now. And the idea now that we're being told by the European Union that actually you might well get a three-month extension from Article 50's uh, uh, ending in uh, March the 28th, March the 29th. It makes perfect sense to me that this is exactly playing into the European Union's hands. 0344 uh, is the number to call us on. Right now, though, uh, we're going to talk about a rather mysterious event that rumbled around the world, a seismic event that seems to have emanated from what we think is somewhere down in the South Pacific. We're going to talk to Ian Stimson now, senior lecturer in geophysics at Keele University, because the theories around this are even more mad than the theories around my Brexit conspiracy. Uh, Ian, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Now, um, we love these kinds of mysteries, don't we? Because if you can't explain something, people love to kind of speculate about what it could be. Tell us what we know uh, and what we think happened. Well, this is a real uh, seismological whodunit. Yes. Normally, uh, earthquakes are relatively well underknown, relatively well known. Mm. They behave in a normal way. We have certain waves that arrive in a certain sequence and from that we can work out where the earthquakes are how big they are what their importance is but on november the 11th people noticed that some strange earthquake waves were recorded without any of the other usual signals right so that they weren't located and analyzed by normal normal uh, systems right and they said well this is really weird. What, what, what's caused these vibrations, which, as you say, were felt over such a really wide area mm. of, of, of our planet? For all the way from basically from New Zealand to Canada, which is an awfully long way, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So it must have been a significant event, a, re- a really quite energetic event mm. to, to cause this. But so the, the thing that we you know, obvious, was obvious immediately was this wasn't a normal earthquake. Uh, now, we so, think it happened, we, you could correct me, please, if I'm wrong, uh, in near the archipelago of Mayotte, a collection of French islands in the Indian Ocean between Madagascar and Mozambique. Is that, as far as you know, correct? Uh, that's correct. I mean, we've uh, people, uh, seismologists on tw- uh, got together on Twitter, and it's been really fascinating watching uh, the scientists all collaborate with, with each other, bringing their own expertise and their own little bits of data and putting together what is a, a fascinating jigsaw. Right. And said so they've managed to locate this now to uh, just uh, away from the island of Mayotte, which uh, has been historically a volcanic island itself, but mm. hasn't had an eruption for, oh, at least 4,000 years. Uh-huh. Um, and I see that one of the seismologists has put an actual recording uh, of the tremor itself, both uh, visually and, and, and sort of, um, I presume, audibly as well, uh, on Twitter too. So it's fascinating because I've, I've read one report or one sort of piece of speculation in which it said it could, could it be um, the, 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 the sort of the damage caused by a meteor striking it? What we do know is that there has been a sequence of small earthquakes in this area that the French have been monitoring since May of this year. Mm. 
and we think that is associated with a new volcanic centre. Right. It, it's deep underneath the sea. There's been no eruption yet, so mm. we can't see you know, anything in the way of a, a volcano. Uh, but what I th we think's happening is we are seeing the magma move in a large underground magma chamber. Now, that initially triggered some uh, small earthquakes. What this bigger event appears to be is a, a much bigger movement in that magma chamber, whether it's the magma chamber uh, inflating as you inject new magma into it or whether it's collapsing because you're drawing magma out. Uh, we're, we're still analysing all of that information. But it, uh, I, I think that the fact that it's related to something that we've seen going on from uh, since May is it's a vol it's volcanic related rather than some sudden meteorite strike. No, indeed. And I mean, as far as the way that you measure these these things, normally you've become so good at it that you can tell precisely how far below the surface it is or, you know, how much closer to the Earth's surface it is. Um, is there any indication of how far down this one is? Uh, the, the, this main mysterious event, uh, not really. As I said, what we've, we, we don't have the really useful high-frequency information that we normally get with an earthquake, which can allow us to locate it very accurately. Um, it's a bit like um, having a nightclub. If you're inside the nightclub, you can hear all the high frequencies. You know what the music is. Mm. If you're standing outside the, the, the nightclub, you can just hear a muffled bass line, yes. and it's hard to work out precisely what's going on. Huh. And we've got this muffled bass line okay. that we're trying to work it out. I, I mean, um, do you, I know you guys are very scientific, so you don't like making guesses, but, I mean, what is your best guess as to what this could be? As I said, our, our best guess at the minute is it's something to do with this magma chamber uh, underneath the ocean floor, probably a couple of kilometres below the ocean floor, um, Probably uh, looking at GPS uh, measurements, the, the nearest uh, data we have in my art, it looks to be some kind of collapse within the magma chamber. We're still, you know, we're still looking at the data and trying to work out what it is. But right. possibly the magma chamber collapsing. So I can stand, I can stand rumble. down on any kind of you know, uh, invasion force coming from the planet Zog or anything like that. Yeah, or deep sea monsters or things like that. Yeah. <laughs> How disappointing, Ian. I mean, you know, it is St Andrew's Day. I was hoping to have some kind of a legendary story to tell. Yeah, it's not quite the Loch Ness Monster. No. Oh, dear. Never mind. Thank you very much. Ian Stimson, a senior lecturer in geophysics at Keele University. Fascinating story, though. Uh, I may have to put it out on Twitter for you all to read because uh, nobody really knows precisely what's happened. And you have to remember, when we talk about what we know about the Earth and you'll watch uh, the Attenborough programmes about the planet and you talk about the, the blue planet and the sea and everything else that goes on, there's so much of what goes on that we still don't really even know. And we expect, of course, to know everything in this day and age, but we don't, I'm afraid. Nobody, even this science can yet explain uh, what this strange seismic activity is. And I don't want you to try and uh, speculate on it either because you might frighten yourself. 0344 499 1000. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Three four 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 nine nine one thousand. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. You know what to do. We've got loads coming up uh, between now and one o'clock, of course, where Matthew Wright will be here with Kevin O'Sullivan, joined by Shadow Chancellor John McDonnell uh, today, uh, which should be fascinating stuff because an awful lot of politics in the air. Uh, of course, Theresa May's off down to the uh, uh, the very nice part of Argentina called Buenos Aires, although uh, she may have to try and avoid Donald Trump and avoid the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia. So uh, when you're at the G20 summit and you're avoiding everyone, maybe you don't bother going, do you? Let's talk to Chris, who's in Ch uh, Sirencester, I should say. Hello, Chris. Morning, Mike. Morning. What would you like no, to say? I was just um, phoning to pick up on a point Katie made earlier, yes. where she said that uh, they don't want the Brexit thing to to drag on because the Tory brand will become toxic. Yes. I think the Tory brand is toxic now. I think you might be right. You know, I'm a Tory card member, card carrying member, saying that. You are? And yeah, and how um, does that does that mean that you're thinking of ripping your card up? Oh, 
Good question. Yeah, well, not there yet. Not, not quite. Not there yet. Okay, but you're getting closer. It, yeah, yeah, mm. definitely. Now, which side and of the it, Tory it was, party would you say you align yourself with? Because there's lots of different factions, aren't there? Well, there's only one side that you can, and that's the side of democracy. We had a vote to leave the European Union. There was nothing on the card that I filled out that asked me if I wanted a deal or anything like that. Cameron said we would vote to leave the single market and the customs unit. Mm. It was as clear as day. Yeah. I didn't vote for a deal. I vote, voted to leave the European Union. Yes. End of. I agree with that, but you see, my, my interpretation of all of that means to me that if we have a deal put in front of us, we just take it, regardless of what it says, regardless of how bad it may be, we are leaving. So at least if we've got this deal to leave, we're leaving, which is which is closer to what you voted for than anything else. No, we, no, you misunderstand me, Mike. I voted to leave. Well, we are leaving, though. Yeah, but to stand alone. Why do we need a deal? Why do, why do we need a deal? To, to have a deal suggests we're asking their permission to leave. Yes. No, we just leave. Mm. Well, because we have but to deal... Well, the rules? reason we want a deal, though, Chris, is because we need to see them in the future. It's not like when you leave somebody, you're never going to see them again. You know, you leave your girlfriend and you go, cheerio, that was that, I'll never see you again in the rest of my life. This way, we have to go back on Monday to see the same girlfriend and say, you know, do you mind if I um, borrow some sugar from you? We can do that under WTO rules, right? You know. Maybe. But maybe she doesn't open the door. What do you mean? Well, I'm saying it's not that simple. I mean, I, I don't believe we're going to leave anyway, as you know. My conspiracy yeah. theory is I don't think anybody has the stomach for it because I think it's too difficult. And they're not willing to make that leap of faith that if we were to leave without a deal, um, that we would just be OK, which I also think would be fine. The thing is, in my view... Personally, I think when we triggered Article 50, yeah. we should have gone to Brussels and said, we're leaving on this date, we're prepared to go under WTO rules, mm -hmm. what have you got? Yes, I think you're right. I, I, I don't disagree with you, Chris, but I'm also a bit of a pragmatist, and I'm going to have to let you go because we're running out of time. I'm a bit of a pragmatist, and I think that once you've got something rather than nothing, something is always better than nothing. Some people apparently don't agree with me. But great call, Chris. Thanks very much indeed. We'll take more of them coming up in the next hour, 0344 499 1000. But right now, we want to talk to Lisa McLaughlin, showbiz reporter for the Daily Mail, uh, because there's some seismic activity, never mind... Uh, going on down the Indian Ocean. There's seismic activity going on uh, over at the BBC because Sean has been banned. Sean Walsh has been banned from the Strictly Live tour uh, because they want to protect their family-friendly image. I've got some bad news for people out there. Uh, if you're going to ban adulterers or people who cheated on their girlfriends or their boyfriends from appearing on TV, we're not going to have much to watch, are we, Lisa? Very good morning to you. Hey, how are you, Keith? And thanks for having me on. I, I mean, it's, I mean, this can't be right, surely. I mean, they're going to have to sweep away half of the showbiz stars of the Western world, aren't they? Uh, you do have a point there. You know, as obviously the BBC have said, they, you know, they don't want him on the Strictly Live tour due to cheating on his, I suppose, his now ex-girlfriend, Rebecca Humphreys, and tarnishing the show's family image. But... You know, I think partly it is that Sean doesn't actually want to appear in the tour. Right. I think that, you know, he's had a lot of backlash and he wanted to keep a real radio silence in, in the week since he's left the show. So I think it's more of his decision rather than them because they got so many more viewing figures straight after the two of them, himself, Katya, were pictured kissing out in public. So I don't know about this one. Yeah. I mean, he is, it is genuinely one of those shows that's bigger than anybody who's ever on it, isn't it? I mean, you never see anyone really <laughs> overshadowing it. It's a brilliantly successful format. Um, but I just, I mean, I, the idea that it's, it quotes, a family show um, when they're all kind of, you know, what you might say, twisting each other around in, in quite a provocative manner, it's not that family-oriented, is it? As you're trying to say, it's not particularly strictly ballroom. It's, there's maybe a few other underlying themes going on there. But... You know, I suppose they're, you know, it's the BBC. They want to create a real family image, a real inclusive uh, for everyone, for your granny, for your kids. So I suppose that's what they're trying to push that onto the live tour because they don't really want that much fat. Right. And do they make a lot of money off these kinds of things? And if they do, where does it go? Because, of course, the uh, the BBC is in a bit of a national obsession for a lot of people. And people some, some people think, you know, why are we paying a TV licence when they operate like some kind of commercial entity? 
That's a really good question, actually. A lot of these kind of work separately to the actual production of the show. So yeah. usually the profits are usually gone through another production right. uh, company and they're usually done, you know, with profits for the dancers who don't really earn as much as you would think hmm. uh, while they're on Strictly. So they have to get their, you know, they have to pay their mortgage some other way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose so. But, I mean, that's the danger you get if you if you sort of disperse all of your talent in such a way. Let's move on quickly to uh, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Going very well. Uh, the, 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 the sort of the missing ant doesn't seem to be being missed too much. Holly Willoughby uh, causing quite a storm and doing a great job. Deck very happy. Um, and everyone's, you know, saying what a great uh, lineup it is this year. Do you know what? The chemistry is just right on this one. Like you said, Holly is running away with the show. And I think people have forgotten a little bit about Anne, which maybe in the grand scheme of things is actually quite good so he can focus on his recovery during the time. But um, the campmates, honestly, they are just cracking me up with John being fabulous. Emily and Fleur singing a song yesterday about their bums and their thighs and how they like them. Um, it's been a really magical series so far. And I think people were surprised by that because they weren't quite sure on the midst of people that were going in. But Harry Redknapp has really ran away with this series so far, I think. He's been brilliant, hasn't he? Noel Edmonds' edition was thought to be the sort of the, the, the icing on the cake. And he's been quite good as well. But did we see um, some nastiness creeping in soon? Because it's all, I mean, a lot of people who love this stuff tell me it's all a bit good natured for their taste. Yeah, do you know what? That's the one thing is usually when people get very hungry or if someone doesn't participate properly in a task, that's really when, you know, the claws start coming out. However, I did notice last night, uh, Nick knows, he kind of, although he said, you know, the task didn't matter, he did pick the two fittest people in camp the least <laughs> under here. So I was going, I don't know. I think there's a competitive edge there. So I think we need to watch out. I think in the coming days as the hunger continues and other campmates, they're getting better treatment, something might go awry. Something might. And also, as we get closer to the first eviction, because there's always two kind of dynamics going on, the one from the people who actually want to get kicked out because they've had enough, uh, and the ones from the people who would like to see certain individuals go. Yeah, exactly. Do you know what, though? I think a lot of them want to be in there for the long haul. Obviously, Anne is having a real difficult time, but, yeah. you know, she's kind of had a bit of a, a kind of a butterfly a moment, you know, she's really coming from the Christmas and uh, owning her own experience. So I think, actually, she might want to stay longer than you think. OK, well, we'll keep it... Uh, and it's the first one this Sunday night. It's actually tonight. Oh, is it so tonight? We, yeah, there's an immunity challenge, so we'll find out um, which team, which campmates are immune from being voted out. So... Watch, watch all, and we'll, we'll see the rest of the excitement. Great stuff. Lisa, thank you very much indeed. Lisa McLaughlin, a showbiz reporter for the Daily Mail, telling us all about the showbiz news you need to know. So the first eviction is tonight in I'm a Celebrity, a Get Me Out of Here. It might be marginally more interesting than watching Theresa May trying to avoid the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia. I've uh, got a great tweet here from Richard, who says, Shout out for Con this morning, and the music choices are excellent today. I'm afraid I had to reveal to him that uh, he's not actually here, Con, but he will be around uh, to do the Perrier Awards, hopefully slightly better than he did them last week. Um, and Richard's answer is, well, that explains everything. The music's a lot better when he's not there. This is Talk Radio. More gun talk from a water pistol from the Farmer of Fury. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. It's 12.49, it's Friday, and it's time for this. The 2018 Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. Yes, hello Mike, how are you? Hello Con, how are you? Yeah, good, good week, been uh, behaving? It's been a very good week, yes, we've been behaving ourselves very well, we've hardly upset anybody at all. Good, glad So to you hear. may find some evidence of that in the upcoming Perrier Awards, <laughs> and welcome back to the show that you used to produce. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> Each Friday, we of course cast our ears back over the past seven days of the so-called Independent Republic of Mike Graham, and choose our favourite moments. And I'm here again, production manager Cornelius Mendez, to be dishing, dishing out these awards on behalf of Katie Perrier. So let's begin. Uh, as is tradition, the first pair goes to you, Mr. Mike Graham. Thank you. Uh, you're apparently so sick of Brexit that you gave us what we now call the threat of the week. Now, I have to say, if I see any more European leaders or representatives of the European Parliament or representatives, indeed, of any uh, foreign office of any European country telling us how sad a day it was yesterday and how terrible it was yesterday and how awful they all feel about Britain leaving the European Union, I think I might just break down uh, and have somebody pass me a sick bag. <laughs> it's not a nice thought, that, is it? No. No. 
Uh, I'd now, forgotten about that, as usual. <laughs> yeah. uh, Susan in Exeter has become a regular caller mm. on the show, of course. Earlier in the week, uh, you were talking about whether former Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher should be on her new £50 note. Uh, Susan made an argument against it, but she quickly got tired of talking about it, and for that she won the Perrier for Best Change of Subject of the Week. Look, get to the issue. Why, is it, why are they in circulation when no, nobody needs them anymore? Well, because what are they you're, doing? Well, you're the only person saying nobody needs them anymore. Obviously, the Bank of well, England thinks. Do you think, want them? Do you, do you get them out the cash machine? I occasionally have a £50 note when it's given to me, oh, but very rarely. Nice. Very rarely. Didn't you? Oh, okay. You know, when I, do, right. when I do jobs for cash only, sometimes I get a big wadge of £50 notes oh, in my hand. We don't want to talk about that. I hope it's tax anyway. Yeah, no, I always pay tax, you, of course. What do you, what do you think? I know, sweetheart. What do you think about kids being knocked off their mopeds by the cops? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a bit of a shift change, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, another caller, Ricky in Glasgow, uh, gave us the best reaction to one of Mike's questions. If you give up batch production and otherwise keep the prices down for speed, then the prices are going to go up and the principle of the railway train is getting lost. I see. But OK, so what's your solution to this problem, Ricky? Well, I'd... <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to see you laughing at this, hearing it for the first time. Very good. I'm very encouraged. Uh, uh, the head of campaigns at Royal Mail, Mark Street, joined us to talk about singing post boxes. Uh, what he also provided is the worst geography lesson of the week. I mean, when you consider that you're going to get that card taken across the entire length of the country, I mean, that, that's the thing about our service. We go from John O'Groats to, uh, you know, what's the other end of the country? To Land's Edinburgh, End, the we Hebrides. call it. Land's yeah, yeah, End. No, absolutely. no, no, the Hebrides are the same yeah, part yeah, of the country as John O'Groats. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Or you sure you should be working at the Royal Mail, Mark? <laughs> I think so. Look, let me just check. Can somebody tell me yeah. where I am? No wonder the stuff doesn't get anywhere. <laughs> yeah. He thinks that it's the outer Hebrides, Hebrides. And it's all in the Hebrides on some godforsaken island. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean that. Obviously, carry on. Oh God, not, I'm, I'm not involved <laughs> in that. Uh, here's another one for you, Mike. I think it's fair to say that John Rental from the Independent mm. has become one of our favourite guests. You both really enjoy talking to each other, and you both share the perrier for the best chemistry between a radio host and an interviewee. <laughs> Good morning, Mike. You won't at the moment. I must say. It didn't it didn't last i mean they did <laughs> so i mean that tells you all you need to know doesn't it <laughs> really really it's just absolutely amazing that's what arlene foster said though <laughs> said it's not actually bored of brexit it's bored with brexit so it doesn't work well i'm afraid i'm one of I, i'm one of those um well would they well <laughs> this morning to see that Theresa may is going to go out and campaign for something yeah. because she's so bad at it well, there is that. I mean, you, yes. This whole Brexit shenanigan. <laughs> she hasn't had this much wreck. fun since she handed out all those free boilers to people, I don't think, has she? <laughs> <laughs> well, he likes the show. I mean, what can I say? He's a funny guy. What's uh, so funny about him? Uh, it is common practice, of course, for us to put guests or callers on hold in case of breaking news of that needs our immediate attention. However, Dr. Thompson was talking to Mike earlier this week mm. and asked him to hold the line whilst uh, he was answering the doorbell. <laughs> we didn't, of course, uh, but we got him back on later in the show, uh, hoping that something very exciting had turned up at his door. Well, spoiler alert... It didn't. Uh, Dr. Thompson, sorry about that. We couldn't really hold on for you, so I thought we'd better to get you back. Much obliged. Sorry about it. That's no, not at all. Was it, was it anything nice that came in, uh, in the post? It, uh, afraid, afraid not. Just a brown envelope. Oh, dear. That's no good. <laughs> Just a brown <laughs> Just a envelope. brown envelope. It could have had money in it. Could have been a redundancy notice. He didn't, he didn't elaborate. Could have been a phone bill, I suppose. I don't know. He's probably a spy. Um, another one for you, Mike. Uh, you win the most confusing moment of the week for this clip in which you literally forgot how to speak. Fascinating stuff, Lucinda. So, so much, so kind of you to talk to us. Thank you. So, Lucinda, offer the geophysicist. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Sometimes you don't realise how many words I actually spout every week. Mm, you know, so it's not surprising that some of them don't come out quite the right way. Well, we'll always being pick very you up. Cruel. We'll always pick you very up. Very cruel. Them. Okay, here's what you've all been waiting for. The big story this week is that Sunderland has been named the best place to live and work <laughs> in the UK for under 30s. We were keen to speak to someone from Sunderland to find out why it is so great, but we didn't really succeed. Here's a clip from Andy Dawson 
Employee of the Year at the Sunderland Tourism Office. So, what's great about Sunderland? Um, <clears throat> when was the last time you were in Sunderland, Mike? I've never been there. Right, so you've just said that it's a dump, but you've never been. Yeah, because everyone I know who's ever been there says it's a dump, and that's why I've never been. Right. Okay. Um, I presume it's famous for its sense of humour, Andy. Oh, you know what? I can't be bothered with this. You can't be bothered with what? Oh, dear. Andy Dawson has hung up the phone, thereby proving that Sunderland is a very unwelcoming part of the world. Well, I mean, I didn't ask him to hang up the phone. People hang up the phone very rarely in this business, I've found. Mm. Mm. But no. he's been very unhappy about it. He got all yeah. of his mates to tweet me and tell me what horrible man I was. Yeah, it did cause a storm. Got a few death threats as well. On, really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, on social media mm. and this show, um, caller Nathan called in the show uh, to tell Mike what he thinks of him. Let's go uh, to Nathan now, uh, who's up in Sunderland. Hello, Nathan. Hello, Nathan. Hello, Nathan. Hello. Hello. Whoa, my green burger neck. Yeah, that was one uh, criticism, I have to say. <laughs> Apparently, it's a very uh, well-known criticism of people in Sunderland. They use it a lot. Burger neck. It means that the back of your neck, the bit that apparently, if you live in Sunderland where it's very cold, gets all kind of red and looks like a burger. Really? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't get it either. And they have a song for it. They have a song too. Wonderful. Isn't that great? Uh, and finally, mid-morning presenter on TalkSport, Jim White, wins the Perrier for best seg of the week. What does he know, mate? As you said, he's never been to, to Sunderland, so how can he comment? It's like me saying Aston Villa-Birmingham on Sunday was an absolute blinding game, which it was. And then uh, later, further down the line, somebody says, well, were you there? Uh, no. Well, yeah. of course, you have to be there to comment. Don't worry about that old windbag. <laughs> um, tell you what, it, maybe it's past his sell-by date. Is Ashley Cole past his sell-by date? Oh, there's a segue. <laughs> Do you think uh, Jim White is actually now probably the enemy of TalkSport? Because, I mean, he's telling people they have to be at a game to be able to make a judgment on it, which uh, when you know can, and you consider that they've got eight commentary games going on this weekend, does he think people should listen to the station oh, yeah. and they should go instead? Bit of a blunder, that isn't it? Mm, well, I'd we, say so. We can't possibly think about uh, who he's talking about there. No. Uh, but that's it for the Perry Awards. There will be more next week. The 2018 Perry Awards on Talk Radio. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.